You are listening to Just Riding Along on Mountain Bike Radio. Hello, listeners. Thanks for coming back to Just Riding Along. Two quick things. One, go over to shopmbr.com. I've changed things up with the store uh, and added some options for the Just Riding Along shirt. There's 10 different colors of that logo shirt. So if you've seen it before, wanted to buy it, and it wasn't there in the tan, or you wanted a different color, go check that out, shopmbr.com. And just a reminder to continue to keep using the Amazon link. You can go to mountainbikeradio.com slash support MBR to find out more about that. And that's it. So enjoy this episode of Just Riding Along. You sucking ass on the trail. Why you need to bail? You fed as a whale, brah. Why you need a new bike as well? We take you to market to sell, brah. Now you can afford the bike that you want, the job at the mall ain't pay you enough. Now she getting rough, you thinking that you need to sell all your stuff. When it is more likely the problem with biking is that you're just prone to fucking shit up. You suck. Try to get a new head before you get a bike. Maybe get a trike with the wheelies on the side. Then you gotta get it, get it till you get it better. Maybe then you make it better instead of looking like a lame ass. And if you get confused, you can ask. J-R-A, get hip to the night. Hello and welcome to the 35th episode of Just Riding Along in the year 2018. Tonight's show is brought to you by Suitcase Full of Courage. We're recording today on December 2nd, and unfortunately Paul Sherwin passed today, and if you don't know who he is, he is the longtime Tour de France. Paul and Phil were longtime Tour de France, uh, uh, what do you call those guys, like commentators, and unfortunately, Paul passed today at the age of 62. Or Phil. God, which one was it? Phil. Paul no, Paul. Paul. Sorry. God, I'm terrible with names. <laughs> I'm so bad with names. Um, but I want to say this for anyone out there that maybe potentially wants to poo-poo upon the Paul and Phil duo. Uh, they were good. Remember that there was a certain time that all the nonsense that you heard them like talk over and over and over again, like if you tuned into your first tour to France, you learned a lot from them that you wouldn't have known otherwise. And it was a great introduction and it wasn't all like exclusivity and like super over the top, very techno mumbo jumbo jive. And those guys did a great job of that. And it's a bummer that one of them has passed because it, helped a lot of us become more interested in the sport that we love today. Well, yeah, I mean, road cycling, if you don't know a ton about it and haven't done it, like, it can be super boring, and they really made it, like, less boring with their commentary. So, you know, that's they did a good job. Also, castle facts. They got them. Yeah, they got all the castle facts. So that's really my intro. Uh, I don't know that we have any donations that are worth mentioning or mentionable. Uh, I know that Ben has been pretty tied up, so it doesn't look like anything that possibly was sent over was conveyed to us, which isn't a big deal. He's been super busy, a lot of stuff going on. Um, and I think that's really the big intro done. Who wants to go first on what they've been doing? I'll go. Rally, Kenny. <laughs> I hadn't been doing shit. <laughs> riding fast tracks eating nuggets did you get riding fast tracks eating nuggets oh oh i got some news did you get so, burger king nuggets yes um at the request of a listener who i'm hoping was joking i'm not really sure was very upset that we weren't considering discussing burger king nuggets um anyway it's been a long time since i've had them i specifically went on lunch to burger king and was super disappointed <laughs> they were super shitty 
It was basically How? all breading. So all breading, and so I got, what did I get? I got cheese tots, which are breaded tater tots with cheese injected into them. Okay. That and it basically good. just, yeah, it basically just tasted like breading. So I wasn't super pumped on that. And then the nuggets and, had and no meat in them, and it was just breading. And the fries were actually really good. Did you get the so, chicken fries, like the chicken no, nugget fries? No, no. I don't think they make the chicken fries anymore. Okay. So that's about it. That's all my news. Disappointed in Burger King. You so, can do better, Burger King. You still stand by it. It is McDonald's McNuggets OG for life. That is correct, yep. And it is acceptable to get uh, other fast food nuggets that are acceptable right now are Wendy's and Chick-fil-A. But Ooh. Chick-fil-A produces atheist. <laughs> we determined that in the previous episode. That's where atheists come from is it's people who were, you know, maybe like borderline Christian. Just, just don't. And don't, on Sundays, don't. they're like, man, I really want some nuggets. And they go to Chick-fil-A in their clothes. They're like, there is no God. And that's when they become atheists. Okay. <laughs> what else has been going on with Kenny? No, that's it. Just a little bit of riding here and there, nothing crazy. I did get a, I borrowed a fat bike uh, from the shop, and I was going to go today, but I got lazy and was doing housework stuff, and it it was snowing today, not a ton, so I'm going to wait. It's going to get a little bit colder, I think, tonight, so hopefully anything, any part of the trail that was like semi-sketchy will hopefully get kind of frozen over tonight. What did, so, uh, which fat bike did you borrow? It is a specialized fat boy. Like a nice one or like a mechanical It's like a mid-level one. one or? It's a mid-level one, hydro brake, but they're like Tektros, and it's pretty old. I'm guessing it's probably a three-year-old bike because it has X7 on it. Is it Why tubeless? Why do you still have that? I don't know. It's a demo or something. Is it tubeless? Uh, don't think so. I will say, and this could lead into what I've been doing, um, I... I've been using one of our demo bikes that is like a Schrader valve tubed with sealant in it bike. Nice. And I did go down like, I think I, like our, so our little digital Topi gate, like air pressure gauge said two PSI. <laughs> um, and that was spot on. Like it was great. So don't be afraid to just let all the freaking air out of there. Because it'll suck less the more air you let out. Yeah, that is good to know. Yeah, yeah I, I really don't think you can let too much air out of a fat bike tire. Is someone that's like going to remember what I said in this show? Like, I think when I raced my Farley uh, a couple years back, when I had a demo Farley from Wheat Ridge, I was running like three and a half and four at the most. And I might have started there and let a little bit out and ended up at like three and three and a half. And I'm a little mm -hmm. heavier than you, so... It's really hard to go too low. Okay, good to know. I'll keep it in mind. Yeah, like if it sucks, wherever you're riding, just let some air out. Yeah, when in doubt, let air out. Yeah, just keep on letting air out till it's almost... Like even if there's no air in there, like the the tire doesn't come off the rim anyway, so you'll be fine. Cool. Yeah. That's so, it. Someone else can go. What's been going on, Andrea? Um, there is a strong possibility that I will have a fat bike to ride in a couple of weeks. Uh, possibly an Otso. I'm still um, kind of waiting on the final word on it. 
So who makes the Yatso? Uh, it's like under the wolf tooth um, kind of umbrella. No, Atso, it's Atso. So it's its own brand. I mean, but it's owned by the same person as Wolf No, it's not, though. No. That's a really big thing that we need to like clarify. Is like They're separate companies. Now, they share warehouse space. Okay. There's, there's separate companies that do business separately. But I talk to the same person at Wolf Tooth as I do at Atso. That's fine. They okay. wear... They wear different hats when they answer those different emails. Okay. Just making sure. Um, But yeah, so like after my basically year off of bike racing, I'm really, really, really antsy to bike race again. So I'm hoping I'll have a fat bike and I will go and do some of the races in Leadville. I'll go to Fat Bike Worlds. Uh, I'm real excited. Like I just... So last winter I did some skiing and I did like some fat biking and skiing and I'll probably do that again this year. But like, I'm really excited to ride bikes right now. Like I bought a bunch of warm clothes and I'm just like, I I don't even get like I I have my Matt and I might go ski tomorrow and that'll be fun and all. But tomorrow also starts my program, um, the wintertime like base training program that I uh, purchased from Linda Wallenfels. And so like this week I'll be doing my power test and starting on like all the kind of structured stuff. And I'm extremely excited about it. Like I'm real excited. So, uh, I'm ready to be a bike racer again. I'm tired of not doing that. And, uh, yeah, that's really it. Just excited about it. Ready to ride bikes again. Fast. Want to ride bikes fast. I want to go fast. <laughs> I just want to go fast. Yeah. That's it. All right. So I am also going to start a training program really soon. I'm going to be very, I guess you could say, serious about 18 hours of Fruta. And I've been thinking about all the stuff that I'm good at, like wheels, tires, all that already. And I'm going to do two training programs from Linda Wellenfaults of LW. Linda what, how do you pronounce her last name? I'm terrible. I say Wallenfels. I don't know if it's right. LW Coaching. I'm yeah, going to use LW go. of LW Coaching. So we're both going to do her um, her pre-made programs, and you know we'll we'll keep everyone updated on how how good, bad, or ugly they are over the winter. There you go. Uh, I do have a. Let's see what else is going on. Um, gosh, I wasn't really ready for this. I thought Andrew was going to talk longer. Uh, <laughs> I can talk about uh, the bike industry shitting where it eats. Let's not. Let's not beat that dead horse more today. I really, I want to have a positive and like uplifting and happy episode. (laughs) The bike industry shits where it eats. (laughs) So I am not going to do any fat biking. This is me dying laughing at my own joke. I think... I'm going to abandon all hopes of skiing or fat biking for this winter. I did one fat bike ride, and it was awful. I just don't enjoy riding ungroomed snow. And another thing that I've only solidified with this last ride that I did is I like riding my bike. And I think Kenny said this a bunch before. Like, if I get on my bike, it's all set up for me, and it's dialed in, and everything's perfect, and everything's great, and it's all fine and it's great 
and I have a great time because I'm riding my bicycle. And I'm tired of futzing around with other stuff. And if I tried to cross-country ski, I'd have to learn how to ski. And I just don't really have time for that. <laughs> like, I don't... Like, if I could cross-country ski, I could cross-country ski for fitness. But right now, I think I would not get much of a workout. I would just become very, like, sore. And Well, I think classic style is real easy to learn. Sure, but pedaling my bike is a known thing. And I know how to do that already. And I don't have to go anywhere to ride my trainer. So... I just need to dial everything in. and I want to be extremely focused from now through then so I can race and be very happy. Because I felt like leading into Leadville, I could have done a better job and I could have done a more efficient job and a more precise job of knocking things out and being really good. And I feel that there's a couple of things that I missed. So I'm going to spend the money on training programs. I'm going to really focus on that. I made margaritas tonight and i won't make margaritas tomorrow it's like that kind of thing i'm i'm gonna really focus on it so there's that and i'm I'm really working towards that and i'm excited um but again i'm kind of rambly because i thought andrew would talk a little longer other things going on with me not really much of anything to be honest uh i i don't know i guess that's it you should have written a list uh, you know, I got the the Phil thing in there. I got Phil recognizing the show, and I, that was kind of my claim to fame for the evening. And I made we my can own, answer so many listener questions now. I made my own margarita today, which uh, it's pretty good. I mean, there's tequila, so uh, I I do want to talk about tires again, real quick, because man. And now I'm in that same hell that Kenny was in the other day where I'm trying to find, like, the nice fast tracks on the Specialized website, and I can't find uh, Good luck. Oh, ah. Thanks, Kenny. You Randomly start clicking pretty pictures, and eventually you might get something that's like what you're looking for. Yeah, uh, the fast track Gripton 2.1 that I weighed today in the shop is over 10% heavy. Nah, I just don't know about that. So What did it weigh? Uh, 675 grams instead of the claim 600. Was that with the cardboard box on it? No, that was with two tiny little rubber bands on it. Okay. I mean, I'm not a fucking idiot. Jesus. I'm just making sure. Was that with the box? No, it wasn't with the box. But an icon in all the packaging was only 10 grams heavier. Which is probably about what the packaging so is. So an icon, uh, what was that? 29 by 2.2. So slightly larger tire was only slightly heavier. So you weighed a 2.1? And it was 675 grams. Hmm. If from what I remember, the two threes that I've been weighing are like right at 700 even, typically. Obviously, tires are going to change from production to production and all that kind of stuff. But the ones I've been, like the red box 2.3 standard one is right at 700. Oh. That's a lot for a fast rolling tire. Well, yeah, it's... but I will say it is not... It's one of those things where it's in between. It's not compared to a Maxxis Icon. A Redbox Fast Track is arguably got about the same puncture protection as an EXO um, Icon. Like maybe a hair less, but it's definitely way thicker than a No Nothing Maxxis. Hmm. So oh, take that. I, take uh, that for what it is. I will say I rode my Thunderbirds. The Thunderbird 2.1 light skin, which is 
if I just had to eyeball it and guess, I'd say smaller than 2.1 that are on my hardtail to ride gravel. I took those on like real trail yesterday and they did great. The braking traction, about what you would expect if you look at the tire. Um, yeah, I mean, it was fast. I felt like I was riding, riding a road bike on the trail. It was really good. Like I'm more and more as I ride these, I'm becoming more and more of a light tire convert. Well, there you go. For the right situations. I wouldn't say go race an enduro on Thunderbird light skin 2.1s, but I am saying if you're trying to go as fast as possible, don't rule that shit out. Na 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 na. Thunder. No, no, no ACDC allowed. Yeah, like every time someone talks about Thunderbird tires, I think about ACDC. That's Thunderstruck, not Thunderbird. Yeah, but then when you get a flat tire, like that person pops out of the bushes and they're like, You've been Thunderstruck! No. Alright, questions. Uh, We're going to start down here with Josh. He's an IRL person that we've seen in the shop. And we're going to have to do some math on this one. Uh, What is 4.5 inches converted over to the uh, millimeters? Mm, four is a hundred, like on a hundred mil fork. All right, so, so buckets at buck ten, yeah. Uh, so he said he has, a, and I followed up with him when I saw him in the shop. That's why we didn't answer this question when we recorded last week because I figured I could just see him and talk to him in person. Uh, he says I have a question about the setup of my suspension, whether or not I'm getting the most out of it. I have a Fox Thirty Four on a Yeti SB Five, so that's one hundred and fifty millimeters of travel. I never seem to bottom out. Should I assume that on my normal day of riding, for instance, I rode upper sand dunes and lower sand dunes the other day, I would expect to bottom out on occasion. And if not, then... uh, Okay, if I don't bottom my suspension out, do I have it set up incorrectly? I'm getting 4.5 inches, so 114 millimeters of the possible 150, which is maybe all I should be getting, but I don't think so. Can I I go? Please go, Andrea. So... He, this is a person from Salida, then. Uh, or they know the trails in he, Salida. I, don't, I can't remember where. He lives far enough away that oh, okay. he has to come down. Well, but like he comes down here for like amenities. Like He lives kind so, of in no man's land, so I think. It's possible, A, that you either have too much air or you have too many volume spacers. Um, but I would say the, a good way to test that out, if you are familiar with Salida, and this is going to make very little sense to anyone except for Matt and anyone else familiar with Salida, on lower sand dunes, there is a little rock ramp. It's kind of near the bottom. It's maybe three quarters of the way down lower sand dunes. If you boost the shit out of that and land flat like you will if you boost the shit out of it, you should use all your travel. I have no idea where the hell you're talking about. I've told you about, like, the first time I did it on the 429SL, I thought I broke my bike. Oh, that little, like, Yeah, flat. it's not it's not big, but you can hit it going way too fast for a landing to flat. Like, if you pump into it like you're just serious about it, you land all the way flat, and you should use all of your suspension. I'm doing that, like, rapid blinking thing at her, because I'm like, nah, it's, it's pretty good. And then you can also... Go and do the drop to flat off of, like, at the boat ramp. Basically, you, like, if you're leaving the trail, you turn right at the boathouse onto the bike path, and you just, like, haul ass 
towards the bathrooms that are by the boat ramp and do the biggest, like, as the boat ramp's going down, you can drop, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger. Like, that's another drop to flat. Like, if you can drop to flat at, like, your comfort level and you don't use all the travel, I like, that's always my judge of, like, I should use all the travel when I drop to flat. Like, that should just happen. So try that and see what happens. Um, but I would check, did he say how big he is? Uh, he didn't, but I'm going to speculate that, no, Josh has a five plus, not a five, a five plus. That's right. SP five plus, but he is six, two and, ah, I'm going to say he's a little heavier than me, but he's, if he was 200 pounds, I'd be surprised. He's six, two or three. If he's riding like an XL or even a large, they probably put a shit ton of volume spacers in that fork. Um, it's very possible he just needs to let the air out and take one or two spacers out and then go back to the same exact pressure he was running before and see if that makes a difference. All right, Jim. What else do we need to tell Josh? That's it. Uh, I would say don't overanalyze the using of travel thing too, too much because people love doing that. Um, I don't know. Play with air pressure. See what you think. But don't, like, it just, one event can be way different than everything else in your whole ride. So, I just don't think that's really the way to tune a fork. You should tune it for 95%, not 5%. And I guess... Just don't worry about it, basically. I mean, there are plenty of times, I've got my fork dialed, and there are plenty of rides that are even pretty hard rides. But if you just don't have that one G-out event or that one landing to flat... I'm still rallying, like doing rocky, gnarly stuff, and I might only use mindset 140, and I'm just making up a number here. I might only use, say, 110 or something like that. Well, that's what I'm kind of saying. Like, if you can simulate those times when you should use all of your travel, like if you can force yourself into the situation where you should use every inch of travel, like, try and do it. And that's that was just my recommendation for him. Sure. I just have a lot of people come in and say, oh, my little O-ring indicator, it like looks this way. What do I do? I'm like, nothing, because that O-ring indicator is to set your static sag. Now go away. Well, and maybe another, and I'm just going to play devil's advocate and say this. If he had worded the question, I've never used more than 115, is it set up correctly? I think the answer is no. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's pretty reasonable. I just try to tell people like, hey, don't, <laughs> don't put everything in what that little o-ring is doing because it's there to set static sag that's what it's there for but yeah when i rally the bc down those same trails i use all of it like every last millimeter it's pretty dope my recommendation is i would this is a, a situation where it makes a lot of sense to use a tool that actually works for this. So um, you should use a ShockWiz. Oh, God. Can't well, yeah. No. I read on MTBR <laughs> that if I need to use 35 more millimeters, then I need to take out two tokens and three PSI. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. It, I mean, you can willy-nilly do all that stuff. That's cool. But willy-nilly do that stuff if you know what you're doing. And if you don't know what you're doing, then I would just use a ShockWiz. It's a good tool. And yeah, that's my advice. We've we've got him at. I mean, if he comes to slide all the time, I don't know. Like, if he's if if Absolute Bikes is his bike shop of choice, 
I mean, I try to stay pretty neutral outside of being in the bike shop. Um, we have shock whizzes. I'd be happy to run the shock whiz on his bike for him to go to a ride. Yeah, and he bought his bike from us. So okay. Well, I didn't know. Fine. Maybe like yeah, he bought he, it and then I, he goes to subculture. It's it's fine. No, some, I mean some people like he other comes shops. in and buys magazines. Like this guy oh. buys magazines <laughs> oh, from us. Like he loves us then. <laughs> yeah, he likes the shop. <laughs> um. So I think we've got Josh handled. Uh, we're gonna go to the next one, which is our boy Russell. My buddy on the school cross-country team recently got me hooked on this thing called mountain biking. What up? I have so much fun riding, but I have as much fun listening to you guys. You're way too long to fucking listen to us. You guys know everything and crack me up. I live in Connecticut, and we have a ton of great trails to ride, but one thing I don't understand is when I can ride after it rains. I was at the state park in Madison, and the guy that owns the trails came up and yelled at me for riding. He said the trails were closed because it rained two days ago, but the trails were totally dry. He was really mad. I didn't know what to do, so I apologized and went home. My buddy said the guy has a secret Facebook page where he posts pictures of cars in his parking lot and has trail cams set up in the woods to catch people riding if it rains. Jesus. That park is my fourth favorite place, and you have a category of places to ride, which is just, like, amazing. Is this, are, are you two related? And I haven't been back since. I'm a little nervous about seeing him again or being recorded. Are all the trails closed for days after it rains? Should I try to friend him on Facebook and apologize again? I want to have fun riding my bike, but I don't want to upset him or any other trail owners. Thanks, Russ. And Ben sent Russ a follow-up email, but him being a high schooler, haven't heard back. He says, uh, I'd like to clarify, is this state or private land? Easement of some sort, possibly... Thanks for the info, Ben. So that's what I was going to say. Didn't hear back from that. I think that I'm going to give a quick and short answer for Russell is if you were at a state park, I would find out where to go to the office for that local state park. So like if there was a office there, I would go and talk to the people at the office. If the office was offsite, you know, if there was just one for like your county or whatever, I would go to that office and i would sit down and i would talk to a person face to face and i would air my concerns that here you are as a young taxpayer and let's say that this is a free state park then your taxes pay for that and if you have a state park pass or pay a daily pass to ride there then you're doing the right thing and you're funding that so you're a customer of that service whether it's through your tax paying or through your like day or seasonal passes or whatever and you don't feel welcome back at that place and you need some clarification that's unemotional on the writing and if that person is off base and they are recording people especially underage people without consent that's a big fucking deal and something needs to happen and back and forth like figure out what's really going on from someone like in a park ranger uniform at a park ranger office not some dickhead that like popped out of the woods in a gilla suit and started screaming at you about wet trails but if it was like a guy in a park ranger outfit and you ignored a closed trail sign on the way driving in because you were bumping kesha and getting stoked to ride your fourth favorite place to ride then it's all (laughs) on you like right so that's all that i have yeah yeah i think the is it if it's public land and the authorities who manage the public land have not physically or otherwise, like with a sign or a gate or something, closed the trails, then even if it's pouring down rain, legally you're allowed to ride the trails. No matter what this guy says. 
Um, yeah, if it's some kind of like an easement on a private property and it really is this guy's property, like that's, like Matt said, you should take it up with someone in an office in a uniform because that sounds real weird. Um, just from a, like a, like are you hurting the trail standpoint, um, I will say that just based on my experience, um, being on the, like the board of a trails. Ooh, I'm on thing. the board. <laughs> um, we generally will say that if you are leaving, if you're taking dirt with you, so if the mud is sticking to your tires and going with you, you're causing erosion. And that goes for anything, even if it's just one spot that does that. So if the, the usual spots. Yeah, if all of the trail is dry, but there's like two 10 foot long spots that are just giant mud holes. Don't ride it. That aren't creek crossings. Let's yeah, clarify yeah, that. Yeah, that aren't creek crossings. So, you know, it's got two spots that are just gradually getting wider and wider because people ride around, you know, or ride through or ride around this mud hole. Too wet to ride. Um, so if you're taking mud with you or if the trail, like the tread itself, is so saturated with water that you're leaving more than just like a tread print. So instead of just being able to see, like, what tire is that person riding, you're seeing, like, the center knobs, the side knobs, and it's kind of squishing down into the ground a little bit and squishing out. Um, that's also, that's changing the surface of the trail. So, you know, that in that situation, and that goes even, you know, same situation. If it's just one or two spots in the trail, too wet to ride, don't do it. Um, you know, and always, you know, just general trail etiquette is ride through wet spots it's very possible like you know one of the trail systems we have here in salida if it's got a puddle you can ride through it and when that puddle dries you'll never know as long as you ride through it if you ride around it you're going to make the trail wider and you can tell um so you know it's kind of the leave no trace thing like you you don't want to be able to tell after you know a week after it rains you don't want to be able to tell that people have been riding there when the ground was wet so just kind of take that in mind um, but first, I would, you know, definitely deal with whatever the hell this guy's doing. And, you know, is it public or whatever, private, anything. So I'm going to go. I probably have a slightly unpopular opinion, but I don't give a shit. If it is clearly marked or obstructed that you don't ride it because it's closed, then don't ride it. Like, even if somebody forgot to take the sign down, like, just don't do it. Um, cause yeah, I mean, to me, that's really the only complete and utter black and white. No, no is if they've got a chain over the trailhead, um, just don't ride it. With that said, if you are again, like Andrea said, if you're taking dirt with you, that's a problem. Um, basically I look at it like this. If it's going to make your bike where you probably need to like rebuild it, yeah, maybe you shouldn't ride it for multiple reasons. One is you don't want to destroy your bike. And two, you're probably destroying the trails. And I don't know why you'd want to do that anyway, because like, you'd have a terrible time. I don't think So my, my unpopular opinion is going to be this. I am sick and tired of these trail vigilante people. Um, I've just seen from my personal experience, and others are going to disagree with me, that's fine. Um, but most of the like light tracks that people leave in trails the second that the trails are in like legit good shape and like 20 people ride over them, it's like mint and it's perfect. So I don't know why I think people take it a little too far. 
Like, oh, Jesus Christ, I see a tiny little ridge in this one spot. Whole thing's fucking ruined. I hate everybody. No one should ever ride this trail if it drizzles. I just, I don't get it. That's ridiculous. Um, use your damn common sense. If it's going to destroy your bike, just don't ride it. Um, but I think that trails have a pretty amazing way of repairing themselves by people just riding them if they're built well. I'd also argue that um, if it's a small spot that's a trouble spot, maybe that trouble spot should get fixed. Well, yeah, definitely. So, that's it. And I don't think that your opinion is unpopular because if there's a closed trail sign and the trails are in perfect condition and someone camps out and waits to take your picture of you riding around that on your way back out, that hiker has ammunition of dickhead mountain biker, and they can save that until the next wet day and publish that up and say that that was from that day. And if a trail's not made for mountain biking or banished for mountain biking and you're mountain biking on it, you're hurting the collective mountain biking. So that's not unpopular. It's just uncool, which I think is ridiculous. But, yeah. Uh, you want to... And do we have another question? Oh, dude. You want to go through questions? We can go through some fucking questions. Chris Flanagan wants to talk about his 5010. So... I recently bought a 2019 Santa Cruz 5010. I live in New England and mostly trail ride. I got a dad bod, but not a bro dad bod. <laughs> so I'm not going Wait, to... Wait, what's a... Hang on, hang on, hang on. What's a bro dad bod? Mm. That's when you're a, is bro? a bro... Is a bro dad bod better than just a regular dad bod? I think it's when you're a bro without... And you're not a dad, but you have a dad bod. I think so. Like, you're just a bro, and you have, like, a beer gut, and you call it a dad bod. Yeah, you, you do a six-mile trail ride, and, and then have a sixer of Coors and eight tacos. Like nine. So he's saying that he might have, like, a slightly real dad bod? Uh, a real, like, honest dad bod, not a lazy bro-fuck dad bod. Okay, got it. Uh, so I'm not going super fast, not doing a ton of descending. I picked the bike for the travel maneuver, really, and honestly, I sold everything I owned and really wanted Santa Cruz. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. I moved up from a hardtail, and I'm encountering pedal strikes more often. Yeah. Same. Long live high bottom brackets. Long live high bottom brackets. Uh, I've played with the rear suspension a bit, and I find the pressure, with the pressure at 180 to 190, I sit higher and get a few pedal, stri pedal strikes, but feels less supple, and obviously less pressure. It feels better, but get more pedal strikes. Duh. 5'11", 190 pounds. I was thinking of going to a 170 crank. Do you think this is wise? Or should I have gotten a 29er? Uh, insert Kenny saying, hell yes. Mm, hell yes. I did demo a Tallboy 29. It felt unstable, sketchy, and way up on the bike. And then I tested a 5010 and felt in the bike and had more confidence, control, and for what I ride, it's perfect. Now, if I could dial on the rear to stop getting so many pedal strikes, that'd be awesome. Uh, should I put in a larger volume reducer and try lower pressure, 170 cranks, or should I learn to ratchet, or am I just not used to full suspension? Thanks and keep up the above average work. Kidding. <laughs> you're all great. So... Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go quick. Man, he wants he wants the he wants the low bottom bracket stability and the high bottom brackets clearance. Damn. So that's that's a lot of things. Well first to want. it sounds Hold like on. his his experience with the tall boy might have been it the suspension might have not been set up right. Let me just rally through a couple of things because we're committed to the fifty ten. He's done swiped yeah, his yeah. card. So uh, this is counterintuitive, but you would not want to add a larger volume spacer and reduce the pressure. That is only going to make the bike more supple in the bottom of the travel, like the first little bit of travel, and it's going to make the crank strike more. You want to do quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. You want to remove all volume reducers and then tune the shock with as much pressure as possible. Going back to what Kenny was saying, you maybe don't want to 
like fetishize over, but you want to get it set where you're running. Let's call it like if it was a if it was a pivot, instead of like they have a little sago meter that you zip tie to the sock the shock, and you have trail and race mode, which is two different amounts of sag. So you probably want to cut about twenty percent of the recommended sag out. I'm not saying cut out twenty percent, but like if it's recommended at twenty five, only run twenty. Uh, or whatever's recommended, take some of that off. Um, because with no volume reducer, you're going to need to run much more pressure to prevent bottoming out, and you're going to tune it so you can still get all the travel, and then you'll be running probably more than 180 or 90. You might be running 180 and 190 with the potential to use all of the travel, but that mid to like last bit of the stroke is going to be... Uh, easier to use without a volume reducer for any given pressure and then as far as the shorter cranks sure but those are going to be pretty spendy and i would play with the shock first which should be very affordable you can remove volume reducers without even pulling the shock from the bike and it should only take you about 30 minutes including like learning how to do it on youtube um that's my pick and should i learn to ratchet i'm going to give you the hardtail person's answer is I don't think that you have an issue of ratchet pedaling. I think you have an issue issue of recalibrating what is a ratchet necessary trail occurrence. So you don't expect to pedal strike. It's not that you're pedaling when you shouldn't be. You don't realize you shouldn't be pedaling then. I know that that's kind of contradictory what I just said, but you, you don't realize that you could pedal strike on that coming from the hardtail, and then you do, and it's very jarring. Versus those times that you're like, if I stop pedaling, I'll stop going, and I just got to plow through here. Come on now. Crank boots for life. All right. I'm done. Anyone want to go? <laughs> I'll go. So shorter crank arms, yeah, sure. You can definitely try it. Um, yeah. Like Matt said, not the cheapest thing to do. I suppose you could sell your old ones, but that's going to give you five mil. We've, we've got – oh, th- no, they're that's not something. I'm going to do some some maths here. So he doesn't say what size tires he has, does he? He actually did. He sent a follow-up email and said he's running 27.5 by 2.6 Maxxis DHF in the front. Oh, with damn. Recon you already rate. running them two sixes. And Boy, I, you fucked. And I flipped the chip to the high position. So he yeah. knows how we answer questions, and he got us all the info. That's why we're answering this question well. <laughs> well, I'll just do we'll, – we'll do a hypothetical then. So if he had 2.3s as an example, um, and we were thinking about doing two sixes and just see – what that uh see what that difference is going to be is yeah so 0.3 times 25.4 uh yeah so going from a 2.3 to a 2.6 tire is going to give you a 7.6 mil difference so just as an example going from a 2.3 tire to 2.6 you're going to get more of a difference than going to the shorter crank Or add it together if you want. But he's already on the two six. Right. Yeah, no. I mean I can't help him at all, he's screwed. But <laughs> I was just using an example. Shit's fucked. Well, I was gonna say I mean ratchet pedaling can get you so I learned this when I got Oh 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 hey, hang on, hang on. I got one more thing. Oh yeah. I forgot. Um just go plus ten on the fork. Don't be scared. Yeah, you could do that for sure. Yeah, because the fifty ten is one thirty, one thirty, and I think the fifty ten runs a 
34. So you can stretch it to 140, even 150. Yeah, that would be yeah. a good idea. Like, do, there you go. do a 140. I was going to say, um, I definitely, I had always oh ridden high God, bottom bracket so bikes. Good. And I got a Mach 6 back in like 2015. I got it and I whacked the pedals on the ground constantly. Uh, and I will say that having some high engagement hubs. I had industry nine, but there are lots of choices out there now. Um, you know, I, I really liked those and I felt like they helped me with ratchet pedaling. Uh, the lower the engagement, you know, if you're trying to get through a technical section and you ratchet, you lose a lot of momentum. If you have, you know, like the 18 tooth DT hub or, you know, any number of crappy hubs that have poor engagement. Um, it definitely makes it harder, but I would say that along with your shorter crank, if you're just going to throw money at this because you love it so much, uh, go with a higher engagement rear hub. And I think that's going to help you out a little bit too with learning how to ratchet pedal and be confident with it. Like that's the thing is you feel like you're going to stall out, but you have that extra engagement. So it really, it gives you just a little bit of a boost like mentally to know that as soon as you start to put your front foot forward, that you're going to start regaining your forward momentum. So um, that would be my suggestion, along with Kenny saying that you're just fucked. Um, no, plus 10 on that fork. That's yeah, the only thing he hasn't on, done yet. Plus 10 on the fork and a, a shorter crank and a high engagement rear hub. You're going to be golden. And I did look it up. It is 130-130 with a Fox 34. So yeah. he can definitely put that. Oh, you don't you don't want that square bike. <laughs> square no. bikes are nice. Give me that. Give me no, that plus no. Line. Yeah, you want that plus front bike. All right, we're gonna rally into the next one, which is oh god, what's the right page? I'm gonna here? listen to you while I go check on my uh, stuff on the stove. Okay, so uh, next one is uh, Michael Wonderly boost or not boost and more. Maybe for Kenny, but all can chime in. Well, fucking thanks. It's our show. I think we can answer <laughs> if we want to. My focus is cross-country endurance-style racing, four to eight hours with shorter XC events sprinkled throughout the season. I'm looking to build a full suspension frame set over the winter. My main criteria is a bike that has two water bottle mounts on the inside of the main triangle, not the, bount, not the bottom side of the down tube. What the fuck? I'm tired of carrying a bottle in my jersey pocket every time I ride, and I don't want a Camelback or any equivalent. It limits me to frame choices. I'd like to support my local bike shop. It's a small shop, and they're good guys. They only carry Specialized, which is fine because the Epic meets my criteria. Question. They have a 2017 S-Works Epic non-boost for almost half the price, or should I go with the new 2019 S-Works Epic boosted with the new geometry? Generally speaking, the biggest tires I run are 2.25. I'm not sure if boost matters. No, it doesn't. Uh, For racing, I don't know if I'd go bigger. Regardless, that Epic is going to top out around there. Boosted or not boosted. Correct, Kenny. Uh, what was the question again? I guess I didn't really follow that. Uh, well, he's kind of fallen to the fallacy of boost means bigger tire. The new Epic will hold a bigger tire because it's boosted and not really. Oh, that's not always the case. It is the case in some situations. Like you're pretty much, for example, you're almost never going to see one of the 27 plus bikes in a, just a 142 axle. That's not always the case, but that's usually the case. But it's not even, even that's not necessary. That's just kind of... They both fell at roughly the same time. So when manufacturers were saying, hey, we can make this a 29-capable bike plus a 27.5-plus capable bike, 
and 27 plus is getting more popular, getting more traction. Boost is just coming out. I think a lot of them just use that as a you know chance to redesign the bike to do those both of those things. So boost and plus capable, but it's actually not necessary to do that. Um, I think it makes some other things easier as far as tucking that chainstay in and all that other kind of good stuff that comes with boost. But no, 148 spacing in the back does not necessarily mean wider tires. The Epic is a pretty good uh, example of that. The new Epic, the 2018 version, it really only reliably fit like kind of a 2.2, maybe certain 2.3s. I think quite a few people ran fast track 2.3s in those, and they, they're okay, but pretty damn close. And they did a small running change for 2019 where they just still boost spacing and all that. They just kind of massage that carbon a little bit, and you get an extra tenth of a inch or two tenths of an inch clearance. So you can kind of reliably now fit a 2.3 and maybe fit certain 2.4s. So he says, other things to think about. I could quickly build up the 2017 Epic with parts from my hardtail, some parts that have seen some use, some... Uh, sorry. Uh, probably could be riding it within a week. Would also leave me with some cash left over to make some upgrades, like a nice set of wheels or power meter. Or I could go all in and build the 2019 with all new stuff, like SRAM 12-speed, which it may be more economical to buy a complete bike, since most of my current stuff is 11-speed and non-boost wheels. One more question. 100 or 124? I've only ridden 100, so I wouldn't know the difference or know how the Epic would handle with a 120. Since it's designed around a 100, the trainer ride is really rocky and rooty, but I've managed for years fully rigid in the early 80s or 90s to 80 millimeters and then 100 millimeters. What would you do? Please help. P.S. I took your advice a few years back on a Niner Jet 9 RDO, I9 Torch 24 wheel set, and have been super happy with that bike. Still running as my main bike, but it's almost five years old now, so I'm looking for something a little newer, and we'll keep this as a spare. Love the show and the advice Jerry's provided me over the years. Glad to hear that Andrea is going to get after it again with her racing this year. Happy holidays, Mike from Connecticut. No one is ever mad that they get the best, newest, fanciest thing. If they can, as long as it's not putting them into severe debt and making them like get divorced and like, I don't know, start sucking other people's genitals for money. Yeah. If you have to start like sharing needles with people in order to buy your new stuff, like that's probably a problem. If you can afford the newest, best thing, you're not going to be mad about it. I think I know what he should get. But if anyone else wants that's, to go That's first. all I have to say. You two can talk amongst yourselves. You ask Kenny. I'll, I'll, chime in, I'll chime in real quick, and we'll probably do some back and forth, Matt. So, go for it. I really think you can run the old Epic with a 120. It's like not the end of the world. Um, yeah. I just, personally, if I was going to be spending money for a new bike, I would want to go kind of generation newer in multiple senses one it's just gonna be a better bike typically it might take some getting used to it really will but in the end i think it's gonna be the better decision um with all that said i would go try to find some kind of 2018 or 2019 epic don't worry about whether it's an evo or not Uh, you can always just slam a step cast 34 120 fork and maybe even you can always play around and maybe meet in the middle that would be maybe a really good idea is get a, a 110 mil travel Stepcast 34 on a new gen epic that could be super that yeah that could be super cool that's probably what i would do if you're kind of apprehensive about the travel thing and just always keep in the back of your head it's not a big deal at all whatsoever 
That Stepcast 34 can run 100, 110, or 120. The air springs are under 50 bucks, and most shops will put them in for under 50 bucks. So it's a really, really minor thing to play with the geo and that fork and everything. So don't be scared of that. Um, but yeah, the old bike was very old school, really steep head tube angle. Um, I wouldn't say that it's a super high or super low bottom bracket. I think it was kind of average. I have to go look it up, but it never struck me as terribly high or terribly low, but it's kind of the old school, almost niner geometry where 29 er and they just put a ridiculously steep head tube angle on it to make it feel snappy on flat. Not the worst thing in the world, but you kind of steer that bike with your shoulders. Whereas new bikes, you steer with your feet and your hips because they've got shorter stays and you kind of slam them into turns. It's just a different style of riding. With that said, now that I've ridden more modern short chainstay bikes that are slacker, I am starting to enjoy them. Still like the high bottom bracket. I, I will argue that I like a little bit higher bottom bracket than most people do. Um, so all that said, I would get the new one. There's a lot of good options out there. You can probably find yourself a 2018 Comp Carbon. I can even look. I know you want to support your local shop, and that's awesome. But if you're interested and they don't have it, I'm happy to look. We might have a 2018 Comp Carbon, and that's like a roughly $4,000 bike full retail. What did he say? What price was he looking at uh, for he didn't really, that other one? He didn't really give a budget. It was just more I of thought, like... I thought he said there was one for like three-something thousand. I Maybe think I it misheard was the... That. Um, boop, boop, doo, doo. Ba, 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 ba. They have a 2017 S Works for almost half the price. Or should I get the new 2019 S Works? Like he, it sounds like they oh, have- so he wants he wants Big Daddy stuff. Okay, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I also argue that I mean the S Works is fine. I personally wouldn't get anything with the new Control SL wheels. Oh, Kenny, you uh, let me interject. Yeah, because you said we could go back and forth, and I've been dying. Okay, go for it. So, hear me out. Everything Kenny has said has been very right, with the exception of, well, what he just said is, is like, leading me into this. The, god damn it, websites are fucking awful. Uh, Epic Expert Evo is six grand. It's actually under that. It's 58.50, and they do, like, a higher than MSRP. They do, like, an advertised price and an MSRP price, so it's probably... What, Kenny, like 5,500 real MSRP? I don't remember how they're working these these days, to be honest. I should probably know that, but I don't remember. But it's under 5,800 for sure. Um, or it should be. Last time I looked, we're not a bike dealer anymore. But it has Roval carbon wheels, not Roval Control SLs, just Roval Controls. And it already comes with a 120 step cast fork, GX Eagle, great stuff. Hear me out, though. This is where it gets really cool, in my opinion. If you wanted nice wheels, you would buy this bike and lace a fancy hub into your existing rear wheel. Done. And then if you said, well, I really wanted, like, nicer stuff, like let's say you wanted, I don't know, uh, uh, X01 instead of GX, you could put this stuff on your Niner since you're keeping it so you have upgraded the Niner at the same time. And then you're not buying a fancy bike with a fancy crank, so you could buy a power meter crank to go with your X01 that you hypothetically want on this bike and probably still come out like with the same money spent all in in ways and have carbon bike, carbon wheels, 
like i9 or 350 5423 or hub or something and power meter on the bike so i mean that doesn't sound awful to me that's how i would do it yeah there's a bunch of ways you can do that as far as like doing hand-me-downs from bikes to bike that's a kind of a fun thing when you do have multiple bikes is you can play that game and it opens up the window of maybe buying a complete that you're not a hundred percent on board with you can take those new parts put them on your old bike especially if your drivetrain's worn out or whatever it might be um, so that would be pretty cool it sounds like he's not super budget limited so my vote would be um i mean i don't even really think you need the s-works layup personally you totally need it get the get the it's, fanciest it's not like, that much <laughs> just do it it's not that much lighter um Long story short, even if you get like a comp carbon, pretty sweet because it's a full carbon bike now where it didn't used to be like on the more entry level carbon builds from 2017 and prior. So I think the comp carbon's a great, great little bike, great bike for the budget, but unfortunately you're going to be ripping a lot of that stuff off. So a lot of different ways to do that. If he wants to come back at us with a more specific budget and more things that he wants or doesn't want, like a power meter, et cetera, et cetera, definitely happy to like sit down and do a build and figure something out for him. But I would definitely lean towards a 2018 plus something, whether it's an actual Evo or getting a, a regular one and just slamming a different fork on it. That would be good. Only other thing to keep in mind, I've not actually tried it. Technically it's a 42 or 44 offset, kind of a special version Stepcast 34 that they put on that bike in the 120 config. Maybe that's kind of what you need. I don't, I haven't ridden that bike back to back with a 51 and the shorter offset, like the 42 or 44 or whatever it is. It's 42 in the hundred in the rock shocks. I don't think it's the exact same in the Fox. I want to say maybe 44. So anyway, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. Um, I kind of lean towards trying that 51. I know some people have ridden it and it's been fine. So just something to keep in the back of your mind. But from the factory, they are just know they are specking a 44. Which, in my opinion, is even more fuel for the fire to just buy the expert Evo and run it how they intended and just don't look back and worry about it. Yep. I and even then, the if, you, if you still don't like it, <laughs> if you still don't like it, then you can always reduce that fork a little bit and, and play with it. Yep. So you want to you guys want to knock out one more? Just one. Yep. All right. So Zoe Perko has a question about wheels. And Zoe is from Arkansas. Hey, Jerry, if all goes to plan, I'll race American Trail Race in 2019. I need to build a dynamo wheel set for the race, and I can't decide what hoops and rear hub to run. I'm thinking either Velocity Blunt, Blunt SS or Crest Rims. What would be a good durable rear hub that is easily serviceable with basic tools when my shit inevitably breaks in the middle of nowhere? I'm not looking for bling. Just something good and reliable. The less money I spend on gear, the more money I'll have for snacks, and snacks equal watts. I intend on riding my 2015 Pivot less with 142 spacing. So let's knock out the bike stuff real quick, and then we'll get into like some other stuff. Uh, and I think I can answer mostly for most people here. You're not going to run crest rims. We've yeah, all had issues that. with those. My blunt rims have been fine, but Kenny's seen some issues with velocity rims, and my blunts have very few miles on them. My blunts have fewer miles on them than you'll put on them in the first half of the event. Yeah, I don't want to talk bad about the blunts because I haven't put enough miles on them. I actually own one right now. I've never ridden it. Um, I bought it because it happened to have an ERD of a rim that was gonna, a wheel that was going to get thrown away. 
so I relaced that in there to make it a usable wheel. So, yeah, I mean, it built up okay and it looks decent, but I think maybe some of the old, old, old ones had like a pretty soft alloy and that just, I saw a lot of them come in just beat to hell. Could have been a coincidence, so I don't know. I don't want to talk bad about them until I ride them. Um, and anyway, go on, that's it. Could have happened right then. Could have been the, oh, I have this new wide rim with this 2.4 tire. I can run 15 PSI in the rear suddenly. And people just destroyed their shit because they thought, they read on MTBR that they could run a 26 internal rim with a 2.4 at, you know, 9 PSI for a 180 yeah, pound rider on it. What's the internal on that Blunt SS? I don't remember. Is it 25? 26. Okay. It's 26 or 26.9. I can't remember. But uh, I think we're going to go with the tried and true. Um, the DT stuff has just been proving time and time again to be really good. And with they, with they have, ugh, God, that was with them having so many rims available, you can look and just pick whatever fits your width needs and just kind of like eat it on weight. Cause the blunt's not the lightest rim ever. And for your durability issues, you might even want to look at one of their eyeleted rims just to have something a little more reliable and something a little more durable. It'll be a little heavier, but it'll definitely be a you know, little bit better peace of mind. And then I'm going to throw something out here real quick. The XR391 is one of my new favorite rims. I've been running them front and back right now ever since I've had my stump jumper. And I've been raging it pretty hard. I don't have, and some of it's because I'm not a moron and like run proper tire pressure and try not to auger my stuff into stuff. <laughs> However... Uh, I don't have a single ding on either of those rims. Like they are mint perfect. And that's at least a thousand miles in Utah uh, on a 140, 120 bike. So they're freaking awesome. And they are, and it makes sense. They're heavier than a crest. They're wider than a crest. They're just, I think they're only slightly lighter than like an arch. Uh, 25 internal. They're not asymmetric. That's my one. I would love it if they're asymmetric. That would be like the icing, but they're not. But they're built really well. You can just tell whatever alloy that is. It's just baller. They're not cheap. I think they're like a buck ten or a buck twenty a piece. They do come with um, with nip washers and nips if you want to use theirs, uh, or you can use whatever you want. But that would be sweet. I mean, jumping right in, I'll let you uh, continue after this, Matt. But what I would do personally, depending on what your budget is, of course, I would do a 391 32-hole, assuming it's a 29er. And I would do DT Aerolites. And to save a little bit of cash, I would do a DT350 hub. And that would be awesome. If you can afford the 240, that's awesome. But I think you're going to save – you save more weight – for the money going with Aerolite spokes than you do going with the 240 hub. Perfect. And I was going to say 350 hub because it, you can field service the free hub mechanism without removing the cassette. Like an I-9, if you pull the cassette off, you might lose Pauls and Springs, and it's going to be a total nightmare. But if you had like a little like tiny bit of grease, you can rip your uh, 350 free hub off by grabbing the cassette and tugging on it. And then you can clean everything out, put it back together with fresh grease, pop it back on, then push the end cap on. And the end cap is held captive by the cassette lock ring. So you don't even have to disassemble any of the stuff bolted to the free hub. And then you just only have a handful of pieces, two springs, uh, one spacer, and two uh, ratchet rings 
No, two rings, two springs, and a spacer. I couldn't remember. And what they're I said they're like large springs. I mean, you could definitely lose one if you dropped it into like some grass. It'd be pretty tough, but there's five parts that come out of that yeah. basically, right? And none of and them, it, and they're all pretty big. Yeah, none of them fit inside of a pin, like a you know, it's not like a pin-sized spring that comes out of there. It's like a spring that would fit in like a car part, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that was, I would say that is the downfall of an Industry 9 hub is if you, um, if you did have to take, it, it's not likely you'd have to take it apart, but if you did, you got to watch out because that shit just vaporizes. Yeah, small parts go boom. So then the next part is, what kind of weather should I expect in the mountains? The race starts June 1st in North Carolina, and I expect to be in the mountains by late June. The route goes through Salida and the San Juan Mountains. My sleeping system consists of a good base layer, down jacket, 35-degree down bag, and a nice bivy. Will this setup be enough for the mountains in late June? I'm pretty die-hard, ultra-light, weight weenie, and a beta would be greatly appreciated. My one-liner is, I cannot tell you what to carry, but... What, where does he live now? Arkansas. Um, I'd say go out in the middle of winter in Arkansas. And camp in that and see if it's warm enough because when you're at, um, you know, 10 to 12,000 feet, like you will be when you cross through the Rocky Mountains, um, it can be close to freezing. So it's it's likely lots of people do it with about that much stuff. The bivy is going to make a big difference. I'd say a 35 degree bag on its own is not enough. Um, but the bivy might, you know, it'll keep you from dying. I don't think you're going to die of hypothermia, but I also don't know if you'll be 100% comfortable. Right. And if I was carrying that little gear, when I got to the mountains, I would have to start planning my sleeping spots, not based on time of day, but on elevation. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, yeah, look at like your your you know next day or so of riding and see if you can plan to sleep if you can sleep below 10,000 feet then really below 9,000 feet you're going to be a lot better shape than if you're camping above you know like up around 11,000 feet it gets real freaking cold above 11,000 feet yeah so and the last little bit of high elevation late June uh, last year late June most of the snow was gone at 12,000 feet but the year before that July 2nd I went over a snow drift six seven foot tall at 12,000 feet so uh, and we're having a good winter this year he's he's doing American Trail Race correct yeah where does That's that what go he said. it goes over Marshall Pass so Marshall and then does it go backwards on the divide route for a while um I think once they're at sergeants, that's where they diverge from each other. So they go up and over Marshall Pass together. Well, like, you said it comes through Salida. Yeah, so it joins up um, somewhere like up in the Arkansas Hills area, like around 175, like Ute Trail. Oh, so you descend. Yeah, so you come into Salida on the same route as Tour Divide, and then you go over Marshall pa Pass on the same route. And once you get to sergeants, I think is where it splits, or pretty close to that. Um you know, the top of Marshall Pass is, uh, I don't remember if it's 10.8 or 11.2. I think it's 10.8. It's 10.8. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the lower passes in this area. So, you know, it's, and it gets traffic. So it's going to be, if there is snow up there, it's going to be packed in. You won't be in too much hurt. But um, I've, I'm not sure what passes you have to do after that. Because I'm not just I'm not super familiar with the route. We only had there was only like one rider on the route um, this year, 
Oh, you go through Telluride or oh. Silverton. Okay, so that's going to be some high stuff in the San Juans. And it looks like you go through Silverton and then Denton or Dunton. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all National Forest high stuff. Yeah. Kind of like skating between here and Telluride, heading towards... Uh, there's not really anything yeah. you're heading I mean, towards it's, then. it's all generally like forest road and stuff. I don't think you're going to run into like any unpacked snow drifts. Um, but you'll definitely in June, um, you'll, you're going to encounter some snow, but I think it's going to be pretty passable. Um, but yeah, like Matt, Matt's point was really good. Um, look at what's ahead and plan your camping spot based on elevation rather than time, you know, for sure. Because if you camped in, you know, either in Salida or in Sargent's, you'd be, you know, golden as far as temperature. But if you camped on top of Marshall Pass, you're going to be real cold. Kenny's like, fuck that shit. I sleep in a, <laughs> Kenny's like, I, I, sleep don't, in a I don't ride my bike to camp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't like, uh, I only sleep outside if it's 60 degrees. Perfectly, exactly. Like 62, Kenny's in the Lexus, AC on. Like, I want to be able to, if I fall asleep outside, hopefully it's because uh, I'm drunk and didn't make it to any kind of bed and I'm comfortable sleeping like on the ground because it's 60 degrees. <laughs> Godspeed, Kenny. We should we should go. We should call that a show. Shut this bitch down. Thank you for listening. And just a reminder to go over to mountainbikeradio.com slash support MBR if you want to support the show and make sure that all of this keeps rolling. So thank you and have a good day.